Bereavement Room is a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I am your host, Kolsima Ali. I'm Lydia Akobole, and you are listening to the amazing Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm Tasneem Chowdhury, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hey, I'm Lakani Chowa, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I am Nikhut Khan Marawat and you are listening to the Bereavement Room podcast called Kusuma Ali. Thank you for stopping by. Today's guest is Amira Kazi. Amira is a student at the University of Oxford. Welcome, Amira. How are you? Hi, I'm so well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I'm really pleased you've joined us today. Um, So today's episode is about suicide. Um, It's a deeply personal experience that you're going to be sharing with us today. Mm. So before we kind of get into um, all of that, uh, kind of talk us through where you're from, what you do, what you're studying at the University of Oxford, just what your background is. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my name is Amira. I'm 20 years old. Um, I was born in Algeria, but raised in East London. So by origin, I'm Algerian. Um, and like you mentioned, I'm currently a student at the University of Oxford. I am in my second year and I'm studying English language and literature. How's that going for you? Yeah, you know, it's going. That's really all we can hope for. It's at going. This point. <laughs> <laughs> it's going. Uh, when I was at school, uh, English literature was very, um, it was very different. I mean, I really enjoyed English literature. It was all your Jane Austen and your Charles yeah. Dickens. So, so I just wonder if it's any different now in the curriculum. Is it um, a bit more diverse or? Well, see, that's the issue. During school, like secondary school, sixth form, I struggled a lot, not with the course itself, but just because Mm. I felt like it was very restrictive. And I really hate being told how to think. Um, Mm. And that was basically what the English course was like at GCSE and A-level. So I struggled to like enjoy it, I guess. But at degree level it is a lot wider and the English course at Oxford is designed to give you as wide as like a study of English literature as possible and I also study English language so Mm. that's like yeah the scope is massive Mm. okay well it sounds positive sounds like it (laughs) yeah there's there's a few things still there Uh, even since I left (laughs) studies there's still a few things to address Um, so you said that you were born in Algeria, but you were raised in East London. So how old were you when you moved over here? Or were you um, born in East London? Sorry, no, no, quite no. catch yeah. <laughs> No, I was born in Algeria, very much a certified immigrant. Um, I was around <laughs> six or seven um, when we moved to East London. Ah, okay. Yeah, um, we moved around East London quite a lot. So mm. I feel like I can't really claim any part of it I feel like I can't really say I'm from this part of East London but I can very much say that I'm an East Londoner you are an East Londoner (laughs) all good all good I do like East London um (laughs) I I like to visit I have a lot of relatives there that's usually the reason why I head over to to the East End anyway yeah yeah um it's a bit of culture as well because I I didn't grow up in a you know for me East London is like a community area so yeah. it, it was like seeing brown people for the first time <laughs> where, whereas where I grew up you just don't see that yeah. so so yeah um well thank you for joining us today and I I always say to my guests um I know it's really hard to kind of relay relive and mm. retell a, a very painful experience um so it doesn't mm. have to be neat or tidy but kind of you know, this is your best friend that you want to talk about. Mm. Um, you know, what was your best friend's name and, and kind of what happened and how old you were? Kind of talk us through your story. Yeah, okay. Um, so my best friend's name was Lee. Um, and 
a couple of years ago I lost him to suicide well actually it wasn't a couple of years ago it was like six or seven years ago Mm. um but it still feels like it happened yesterday to be honest Mm. um so the 27th of November 2013 Mm. was when it happened and Um, how old were you I was, I had just turned 14 mm. um, and he was a year older than me. So mm. he lost his life when he was 15. Um, yeah. So yeah, we were just little kids. <laughs> yeah, teenagers. Gosh. Yeah, exactly. So I am, um, were you, uh, was it at school, why you were both at school or were you guys together at the time? Kind of, do you remember, are you able to talk I, about um, yeah, no, bit. so it wasn't during school, thank heavens. I think the school would have had a lot on their hands if there was a suicide mm. on site. Um, no, we, I guess we were similar um, in a lot of ways, and that was why, or it was how we got so close. Um, as a kid growing up, I always found it really, really difficult to make friends but also just to interact with people on like a social level um Mm. and I guess he was the first person that I ever met when I was like 11 I think we were 11 um Mm. who kind of understood what I needed on like the social level he kind of Mm. understood that sometimes I just needed to sit in silence and that it was okay Mm -hmm. or sometimes he kind of understood that I would always have my head in a book and it wasn't that I was ignoring him it was just that that was how I felt most at peace kind of thing so Mm. he definitely he got it a lot and that was the first time I'd ever met someone who understood but at the same time as a kid I just didn't understand emotions I found it very difficult to process my own emotions but also to understand other people's emotions so I think that's probably the main reason why I found it difficult to make friends and I also didn't understand the concept of like friendship which sounds kind of weird but I just I just didn't understand like why you would need why it was important to like have other human beings around mm. you and I just I I didn't get it and I think I've always looked at emotions from a logical point of view which is ironic mm. because I'm an English student yes <laughs> so yeah, I was just think... about to say yeah <laughs> you'd yeah. think that I was empathetic but mm. no no so, so with Lee was he kind of because you were going through so much at that point was he like your rock then he yeah. would sit there in silence and it mm. was okay you didn't have to talk yeah exactly it was it was so weird like I'd never experienced that before like I'd never met somebody who just got it and Mm. I didn't even know that I was going through a lot then I was Mm. just a kid and I was you know I was going through primary school we moved houses a lot like an insane amount I think Mm. I went to 11 primary schools I think wow yeah it was insane that's a lot that's a lot as in to the point where I would spend maybe like a few months in one school and then we'd immediately move so that meant that I obviously found it a lot more difficult not just to make friends but to keep friends yeah sure it meant yeah yeah, I didn't really know what it was like to have a sense of stability in my life just because it's it was never something that I'd experienced before Mm. um and so I was friends with Lee for so long or relatively long like it was it was long for me I guess um and it was the the first time that I didn't feel like I needed to run away kind of thing um Mm. I think I've yeah I always felt 
suffocated if I stayed in one place for too long or if I stayed around the same people for too long understandably Mm. because we moved around so much um Mm. but yeah during school I just found it very difficult um Mm. I used to just not go to class quite a lot as like a little eight-year-old I'd just like stay in the library and then I'd get in trouble because like you can't just Mm. ditch school when you're eight (laughs) Um, yeah of course the Mm. teachers didn't really understand like the needs that I had I I don't even think I understood the needs that I had really Mm. so we're going to talk a little bit about um the you know your your needs and kind of support from school community following Mm. what happened Amira is now going to go back to that day that Lee died if you have been affected by suicide you know someone that has died by suicide please can I ask that you practice self-care as the following content within the audio includes incredibly sensitive content thank you it was so incredibly sudden um Lee was like you mentioned he was kind of like my rock emotionally like physically in every way and he was so strong in that sense that he wasn't the kind of person who was very open about how he was feeling what was going on in his life which is ironic because he was always the one that pushed me to be so open and to kind of face my own emotions and things um but I knew that he struggled quite a lot with um depression and I think I did blame myself quite a lot for what happened because I knew that it reached a point where he just couldn't handle it anymore and I felt very much like it was because I wasn't there enough for him in the way that he needed because I didn't know how to be, if that makes sense. I just, mm. I, I just didn't know how to deal with somebody else's emotions, but I knew that he was going through things. Um, mm. And I knew that he never expected me to kind of fix his problems or anything. He always said that I was a good friend and things, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's one of the things I've never been able to forgive myself for, but yeah, he was struggling quite a lot with mental health. And as a young black man in East London, it's not really, I knew that he thought that it wasn't something that he could be very vocal about. It was still very much a stigma for Mm. um, a young black boy to say that, to be very open about the fact that he struggled with depression and that he needed help. So and mm. he never sought um, professional um, help. Yeah. And yeah, so he was he was dealing with quite a lot. And it's quite common, really, because uh, even now, I mean, that was a few years ago, but even now, mm. young black men, young Asian men, you know, um, men in general are not, it is a, very much a stigma to talk about the fact that you know that mm. you're depressed yeah. or or about your mental health and what's causing that um and it's really it's really sad even now I mean talking is healthy and it's time to talk but even now it's still a bit of a challenge I mean that yeah. there is some change happening but gosh that's so that's so hard so I mean were you there that day oh yeah Oh, you were there with him when he, he... Um, so it was, it was on a, I believe it was on a, maybe a Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember, but we were at a party, um, like a house party. Neither of us really knew the person who was um, throwing it. Um, and earlier that day we'd had a discussion 
a, actually a really deep conversation about me and about my general inability to face emotions and to just to understand them and I felt like even then when we like halfway through the conversation I felt like he was trying to say something about himself in projecting it onto me if that makes sense Mm. it wasn't really like it did very much apply to me but I was kind of like is is everything okay like is this something is there something that you want to talk about like but he was yeah he was like no I just think it's important for you to be able to understand your emotions and understand how they work um and I think I yeah I tried to give him um kind of the space to tell me anything if he needed to but he didn't so you were both at a house party and you had this conversation Mm. wow yeah um so he wasn't yeah I could tell that he wasn't okay there was something that was bothering him but I knew that he like so he was the kind of person who wasn't if he didn't want to talk about something whilst it was bothering him it was best to just kind of leave him be and then whenever he felt okay to talk about it he would um so I knew that something was bothering him but I didn't want to push it um and I think that's something that honestly we've always admired about each other that we both gave each other that space that we needed um and so yeah i I knew that something was bothering him, but I thought that it would be the best idea to step back. So um, we were at this party and he was a bit detached, whatever. Um, But I was kind of like, just leave him be. Um, And then at one point I noticed that he kind of disappeared. and I couldn't find him. I didn't know where he was. And it was in mm. like this big house I've never been to before. I had no idea whose house it was. Um, so eventually I started looking for him. Like he'd been gone for like an hour. Um, he wasn't picking up any of my calls. I had no idea where he was. Um, so I ended up, so I, I searched the entire house. He wasn't there. I ended up leaving to like the back garden um and the back garden was huge it was like so there was like the main area and then if you turned around the little corner um there was like a more kind of I guess unkempt kind of area um Mm. and I searched the entire garden couldn't find anyone and then I turned that little corner um and I remember just seeing like a body lying in the grass but because it was dark I couldn't make out who it was at first but like I think I knew immediately and I had that like you know that sinking feeling in your stomach Mm. and I was just like god no please and I remember running over and Mm. there was blood everywhere and he had slit his wrists oh god um and I remember falling to the ground I froze in that instance I don't think I've ever in my life felt as helpless as I did then having to lay there and watch him die in front of me and knowing that there was nothing that I could do um I remember I called the ambulance I was freaking out but I think I knew that it was futile you know when you just know Mm. so you called so you called the ambulance and 
I mean, there are presumably at this house party, there are lots, but there are lots of other people milling around. Did anyone come and help you? Do you kind yeah. of? No, because yeah. it was it was around this like little corner in the back garden where like nobody was. Um, so nobody had a clue. I was literally you could like I could still hear the music and whatever from inside. Oh, um, I could hear the like people having conversations or whatever literally around the corner. Um, and I was yeah, I was just on the ground with him. Gosh, so you called the so you called the ambulance and then oh yeah. god, yeah. I remember that's... it felt mm. like a lifetime for them mm. to come. It took, yeah, it took ages. Um, I remember holding him in my arms and literally seeing the light die in his eyes and wishing that it was me instead I think in that moment I would have given anything to swap places with him it was like he was there and then all of a sudden he was gone and I don't think we ever got to say goodbye mm. That is incredibly shocking and traumatic experience mm. to go through as a 14-year-old. Yeah. There's no one else around you. Everyone's still milling about in this party. You've called the ambulance mm. and he's, he's, you know, in your arms. Um, so at the point of when the ambulance turned up, did... You know, I imagine the party must have stopped at some point. Did people come out? I mean, do you remember mm. the the bit where the ambulance came? Do you remember much about that? Um, I I think so. When it got to the point where it wasn't just me and him, where mm. it was the ambulance came and then people started coming over and then it was all hectic. That's where it becomes a blur. Like mm. I remember. So I remember the ambulance coming um, and then uh, like loads of people just started like crowding around and then somebody tried to pull me away from him. But I remember like clutching him. I remember not wanting to let him go. Um, And then somebody, I still don't know who it was, somebody kept saying let him go he's gone and I think it took a while to like physically get me off him um but yeah that that part was very much a blur I think the point between that just before the ambulance came and just after I found him was probably the most vivid like yeah mm, so it's all a bit fuzzy mm. and that's common when yeah that gosh mm. so that was when you were 14 and how do you now you're 21 and I'm, I'm 20 right? you're 20 yeah. wow yeah <laughs> I, was, is... I was a kid yeah what an incredibly hard thing to have gone through. Mm. Yeah, it definitely, it wasn't easy. Um, no, no, of course not. A traumatic. I, you know, before we kind of, uh, I just kind of want to hold this space for you because mm. it's, it's hard to go back and relive a moment that you essentially were very much in, that you were there, you were present with him. You'd had this conversation, you know, an hour before. That's hard. So I know it gets fuzzy. People are coming and going. Mm -hmm. The the ambulance take him away. Were, Were you... 
do you remember who took you home or what the rest of that evening was like for you did you call his parents or do, do you um, kind of know what happened after um so I remember I didn't go home I actually ended up spending the night in the house of the person who we didn't know mm. um yeah I, I still have no idea whose house that was actually but I ended up spending the night there um I didn't call his parents because I think for several reasons firstly I knew that they weren't too fond of me um they felt like I was a bad influence on him oh okay yeah they weren't I yeah I knew that they weren't my biggest fans so I thought that it, it wouldn't be the best idea for me to be the one to kind of break the news Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I, it's not that I am insensitive in any way, but I just don't know how to deal with sensitive and emotional situations. So I knew that I wouldn't be able to, I just wouldn't be able to deal with the conversation no of course not and I mean you were there yeah Yeah. and of course and you were there and you're in shock yourself and you were there for quite a long time as you said until the ambulance turned up which felt like a lifetime for you Mm. that would have been an incredibly difficult conversation for a 14 year old to have yeah um so kind of so you stayed the night um at that house Mm. um what else do you remember about that time, you know, at, at that point, the next day? What what do you kind of remember after? Um, I remember not knowing how to cope. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on kind of thing, mm. like, in me. Mm. I, yeah, I, I very much felt like a part of me had died with him that Mm. night and I don't I don't think I've ever really felt the same since but um I had been diagnosed formally with alexithymia um which is it basically means I don't know how to deal with emotions my own or other people's um Mm. and also depersonalization disorder and ironically it was actually Lee who was helping me through that quite a lot and he was helping me to decipher emotions and feel mine more and things Mm. but I I was still very much in the early stages of that. So you weren't formally diagnosed at that point were you formally diagnosed after? Yeah yeah um but I I knew that I didn't know how to kind of cope with it. Mm. I yeah, I was just unfamiliar with it. So I physically didn't know how to grieve him and I didn't understand the pain that I was feeling and I didn't know how to make it go away. Mm. And so I think I just carried on I don't think it ever crossed my mind to pause and let myself feel grief Mm. which brings me to my next point but um before we go there I don't want to forget the important part of before we we talk about cancelling and um, mm. talk a bit mm. more about your feelings and emotions because I know you had talking therapies and you had some kind of mm. support but before we go to that conversation um, this incredibly traumatic thing happened in your presence um, while you were at a party to mm. your, your best friend um, and I know that you weren't in touch with his parents for various mm. reasons did did you go to the funeral what was the school community like after um were there any remembrances uh, marked uh, mm. do, do you remember much of that um so 
I'm not 100% certain on what went on in his school. We went to separate. Oh, did um, you? Okay. Yeah, secondary school. So I wasn't completely sure what happened in his school. Um, in terms of the funeral, I went to the memorial service, but I don't think anybody knew that I went. I very much stayed and like, the background um I didn't want to have to deal with people asking me if I was okay or people asking me questions about what had happened and I don't I mean maybe this is cowardly of me but I didn't want to have to face his parents because mm. I I don't know why but I felt, and I still kind of do, feel like it was my fault. And I think, logically, I know that there's nothing mm. that I could have done, but mm. I've never felt that helpless before. And yeah, I just keep thinking, like, there must have been something that I could have done. Like, I know that, I know that there isn't, but I couldn't help thinking that, and I couldn't bear to look anybody in the eyes because they, mm. I don't know I, it was just just knowing that he was gone and I was still there I guess mm. I felt guilty for being alive I guess I don't know mm. well you're incredibly close and you shared a lot of you trusted each other and you shared a mm your innermost fears and the things that mm. you were going through he was someone that you trusted and you were someone mm. that he trusted you were good friends um and that and that is hard it's hard when those mm. feelings come to surface and you feel this way um so, so were they aware were the family and his friends were they aware that you were there and that it was you that called the ambulance at a later stage is that why you kind of sat at the back of the memorial service or I don't I don't actually think they ever found out um okay I I knew that they knew that somebody called the somebody found him called the ambulance but at that point they didn't know who it was and I certainly never told them I don't think anybody I don't think anybody actually knew no so I don't think Gosh. anybody's. But yeah, nobody knows. Wow. Wow. So, as a fourteen-year-old, you're sitting at the back of his memorial service. What by yourself? Were you with any family yeah. or anyone yeah. to give you support? <laughs> no, um, I wasn't. The, I guess I was always the kind of person who, um, preferred to be alone. I didn't like. I think having somebody else there would have probably done more harm than good for me. Mm. I felt a lot more comfortable with nobody knowing that I was there with just being alone mm. there. I didn't Did you, feel like mm. it was something that I could share. Yeah, of course. Did your parents know you were going? Did they know what had happened? Um, um, it, you know, after that night that you spent at the house, mm. when, when you came home, did you tell anyone? Yeah, I was kind of like, there was, you know, there was an incident. Um, my friend passed away. Mm. Um, I like, oh, you know, what happened? Especially when it's when it's in East London, I think your your first thought isn't that it's a suicide. Your first thought is, oh, somebody, you know, stabbed him. Yeah, knife crime. Uh, yeah, yeah, crime. yeah. Um, but no, I I was very vague about it. I was kind of like, yeah. So you um, never told your family. You never told anyone at that point this traumatic no. experience. No. no. Wow. Wow. That is really fucking hard. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh. Do you remember what you were thinking about at the memorial service? I mean, do you remember what your thoughts and feelings were like at the time when you were sitting there at the back? Were you? 
kind of remembering the good times? Was it really? It was just, I remember just feeling numb. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't know. I just felt numb. And then I felt bad because I everyone around me was crying or very very evidently distressed but mm-hmm. I even even as a baby like I never cried a lot I I just yeah I don't know I just didn't know how to physically grieve him so I think I was hurting so much on the inside but it just didn't translate on the outside mm-hmm. um, and I think really all I could think about was when it happened it happened at sunset um and I remember just like sitting at the back of the memorial service and literally just being able to see the sunset and I think that's why sunsets are so important to me now Mm. um and then, yeah, it was when I was on the ground with him. I remember looking up and through tears, seeing the most beautiful sunset. But in that moment, it didn't look beautiful. And I think for the longest time, I couldn't physically bear looking at a sunset. And it's, it's taken me a really, really long time to be able to look at a red sky and see the sun instead of blood I think yeah that was quite difficult for me Mm. it's interesting the things that we that remind us of Mm. something so hard and traumatic and the things that we can't face um yeah. yeah yeah I hear you on that can you look at sunsets now? Is it something that I can. you've processed? Yeah. Um, not, I can't, it's not even that I can just look at them. I'm so obsessed with them. And I always have been. That's, I think that made me really sad that I, for a long time I just couldn't because Lee and I always used to like watch the sunset together and he knew how obsessed I was with sunsets and he always used to tease me and say that, there's a sunset every day and every day you act like yeah. the last sunset you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That, that's nice. That's yeah. nice. So you guys went to different schools. Um, yeah. How did, how, were you part of the same community? Did you live near each other? Is that how you knew each other? Um. Yeah. So we met in primary school. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and then I went to an all-girls secondary school um Mm. and he was a secondary school near mine Um, yeah and yeah we kept in contact even even though like I was moving around so much which Mm. was nice Mm. yeah Yeah, you moved around 11 times that's a lot (laughs) a lot for a young child yeah Yeah. that's tough and that's great that you guys kept in contact and Mm you had that really special friendship yeah gosh I'm just processing it all yeah (laughs) it's It's, okay I get it it's hard it's hard um Mm. so um the memorial service was that his funeral it was uh yeah okay it was so I'm pretty sure the funeral was like a very classic kind of Christian funeral mm. so um there was the church service mm. um, and then the burial and then there was a memorial service mm. the and mm. that was it was the memorial service that triggered memories of the sunset because the sun mm. was literally setting oh, <laughs> during okay. the memorial service so, oh, okay yeah uh, and were you there at the burial were you there or no no, no you, so you went to the memorial service, okay? Yeah. 
It's hard. It's a difficult one. So, like, you're obviously at school at this point. So you have to go back yeah. to school, right? Yeah, like, I do. Nobody knows. You haven't really told yeah. your parents. Um, he yeah. was, you know, d- did you tell anybody what had happened? Was there anyone you trusted at that point? A teacher? Um, I mean, presumably you went back to school straight away, right? Yeah, 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 I did. Um, no, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't. Um, obviously, now I understand the importance of just telling somebody after something like that happens. But back then, I just didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I didn't understand that I needed to talk about it and that it was something huge and that it had affected me mentally. Like, I just, I didn't get it. So I, yeah, I just carried on and I felt like a part of me had died as well, but I didn't know that it was something that I needed to let myself feel. I kind mm. of just ignored it and pushed it to the side. And academically, mm. I've always had a very like obsessive personality. Um and the way that I dealt with it was to just like immerse myself in academics, not necessarily in school, because I was not not exactly a model student, let's just say that. Um, but I've always loved to learn, and that's always been the way that I've dealt with basically anything. It's just mm. learn new things, learn more things. Yeah consuming yourself in that yeah. Yeah. yeah but you're you're at the University of Oxford now so um I am <laughs> you say you're not a model student oh okay it's quite <laughs> okay that's interesting uh, okay yeah, yeah I definitely wasn't a model student no. so do you mean you weren't an A-grade student is that what you mean um, or? no so uh, I was always a bit of a weird case for my teachers they knew and it was quite evident that I was a clever student but I wasn't a good student in that I got high grades but I used to bunk my lessons a lot I, oh that's what yeah you mean. like I used uh, to argue confused. a lot with oh, teachers I, I got into a lot of fights in school oh, but at the same time my grades were brilliant so they always it was always a bit of a paradox I don't I don't think my teachers really knew what to do with me really um there was only so much they could kind of tell me off because ultimately yes. nothing was having an effect on my grades so mm, but yeah I wasn't interesting I wasn't a model student no. uh okay now I hear, I hear what you're saying yeah. um you didn't fit into the any entirety box even though you were a high achiever yeah 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 yeah, because they kind of expect that to go hand in hand with someone who is a high achiever and quite clearly smart they want someone that is yes sir free bags Mm. full sir you you challenge the status quo is what I'm hearing (laughs) definitely yeah 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 good for you good for you you. (laughs) I'm glad you weren't a model student still at the (laughs) University of Oxford it's all good I know good for you well done you've done well and uh, you should be proud of that um thank you which brings me on to cancelling now um so I know it was hard for you to talk about and you consumed yourself in education um at what point did you then start opening up and talking and then get some cancelling for this incredibly traumatic experience that you went through as Mm. a teenager um so actually um weirdly I I actually got counseling for this situation after another um death of somebody very close to me that I experienced when I was around 16 so this I never actually got counseling like straight after this happened Mm -hmm. or anything Mm -hmm. um yeah this I basically just kind of just let it go um, Mm. for two years. Yeah, for around two years. Um, I didn't really let myself feel what I was meant to be feeling. And I guess I was my own counsellor and that I just kind of 
dealt with it by myself mm-hmm. um but then when I was 16 um and mm-hmm. there was a mm, kind of a similar situation um and I got counseling for that um and then this situation came up when the counselor was kind of like have, have you ever experienced grief before I said yes I spoke about it and she was very shocked to find out that I hadn't gone through counseling when it had happened but mm-hmm. it, I don't think it was anybody's fault but my own because I didn't speak to anyone about it so yeah like anyone could have you were 14 and it was a shock for you so you didn't share it with anyone and that's why those two years passed yeah yeah and I mean it's not anyone's fault it's not your fault either um Mm. it it was one of these things that unraveled the way that it did because of the 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 sheer shock of it um so so you went to see this counsellor was that in school or was that through the NHS are you able to take us through what that looked like for you yeah, so it was it was through the NHS because in the second in the second incident had happened whilst I was abroad, and so when I came back to the UK, um, my parents like knew of what had happened um, in quite a lot of depth. So they were like, "Okay, this this isn't okay for you mentally. Like, you need to talk to somebody about this." Um, so they they were the ones that kind of initiated that which was surprising for me in a lot of ways just because my parents and are, are not like neglectful parents in any way shape or form but they I, I don't know maybe the the lack of emotional awareness is something that runs in the family but we don't really talk about like emotions and mental health etc so it was surprising when they suggested that maybe I should just talk to somebody about it mm-hmm. um but I was I wasn't not open to it but I definitely wasn't kind of jumping from joy with the idea of speaking to a stranger about whatever I dealt with yeah um, your feelings yeah yeah which is something because of your condition can I say it's a condition is it a yeah condition yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's something that's hard f- for you already. So you wouldn't yeah. be jumping for joy, especially when it's someone you don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I went through counselling. It was weird. <laughs> it was definitely an odd experience. Um, mm, I wasn't that? used. I definitely wasn't used to being put in a position where I had to talk about my feelings. And then I didn't know how to articulate it either. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I, I don't know, I feel like I came across as quite cold and detached because I didn't know how to articulate how I was feeling. But on mm-hmm. the inside, it was it was like a war zone on the inside. Yeah. But I just didn't know how mm-hmm. to put that into words but also I didn't know what it was that I was feeling if that makes sense yes it does so so I I just didn't know I don't know I just didn't know how to deal with that and how to say it to a counsellor it's just yeah it was weird how many sessions did you have with this counsellor on the NHS um so I had regular sessions um every other week for about six months oh Um, wow okay yeah it was because so she was dealing with like the trauma side and then she decided that my alexithymia depersonalization was so I don't want to say bad but it was was quite bad yeah yeah Yeah, to the point where she was like okay you should have got counseling for this a very long time ago Mm. so Mm. yeah hmm so she did the right thing she did yeah, the right definitely. thing yeah. and do you find it did you find it helped and was it a counsellor from a BAME background was it someone that you chose or it was chosen for you for your GP um it was somebody chosen for me um they weren't from a BAME background um, okay so I guess did that matter I'm, yeah did that's that matter? the thing I guess now I'm I guess I understand the importance of 
BAME counsellors um but back then I didn't I didn't really I didn't look at her and think oh she's not gonna understand me because she's not from the same background okay I think from yeah when it comes to mental health I think it affects everybody in different ways regardless of your ethnicity and your background Mm. um so for me I just kind of saw her as somebody who could help me rather than Mm. somebody who couldn't help me because of her skin color if that makes Mm. sense yeah no it does completely completely and she did help you through that traumatic experience you were able to open up and talk to her about something you hadn't for so long yeah yeah exactly um and it was it wasn't something that I'd ever done before so it was definitely um overwhelming and Mm. where I'm from you just don't talk about your emotions you don't you don't talk about your feelings you don't cry in front of people you don't know so it was difficult um because I never like to put myself in positions of weakness or a position where I feel vulnerable. Weak. Yeah, mm. I re- like there's nothing I hate more than that. So it was quite difficult, but um, I think it was just a situation of everything had built up for so mm. long that. Mm. I just needed to get it out and I I didn't even know that that was what I needed until I got it Mm. Mm. it sounds like you did a lot of work a lot a hell of a lot of work (laughs) yeah it was it was difficult yeah yeah and are you happy that you did now looking back do you ever reflect on that yeah definitely um I do definitely think it was the right decision it was difficult for me to make that decision back then because as far as I was concerned the way that I was coping with it and my coping mechanisms were working perfectly fine um but yeah I do think that counseling was definitely a good shout yeah it's a good investment mm. um regardless of <laughs> anything you know just it should just be part of a routine like going to the gym definitely. or having having lunch um mm talking is healthy um if you can and you know if you can't um there are other resources that are available um do you you, um, see a counsellor now now that you're you know because you are an incredibly one of the top universities um (laughs) where you're studying probably Monday to Saturday um (laughs) is that the schedule um, for some degrees, yeah. So yes. okay. for mine, in terms of contact hours, Monday to Friday. But I'm, yeah, I, I am constantly working. Mm. Yeah. Do you? So do you see anyone? Um, uh, do you see anyone now to, to kind of continue that work, or you did that six month work with the counsellor, and you're you've, you're kind of okay with where you are with everything that's happened, or? Um, yeah, so effectively what happened was I had six months of quite regular um, mm. sessions with the counsellor and then I, I don't know what happened, but the the sessions became a lot less regular mm. and I was like placed on this waiting list where they were like, you it, for your next session, you're going to have to wait six months. And I was like, that's just not happening. And I know that the NHS was in a state at that point. Um, so I decided to just opt out I was like you know I think I think that's enough and Mm. so I opted out and in terms of university counselling we have um, a very prominent counselling service at uni I I think technically I should really see the counsellor for a lot of different reasons Um, not just the trauma side of it but I I literally just don't have time and it's one of those things yeah of course for so long yeah Um, of course and you have to be ready and as you say when you've got the time to invest in it um Mm. yeah yeah no I hear you um and I'm it sounds like you will it sounds like you've you've progressed so much like you've done so much work in something that's 
so hard has been so hard for you yeah you, I hope yeah. so <laughs> are you proud of yourself would you say um, it sounds like to me you've come so far um I don't think I've ever really been proud of myself um not in not in any kind of like self-pitying way or anything I just don't I just think that I do things and then I get places and it's I I don't really see them as things to be proud of it's like I grew up reading a lot of books and mm. then I did well in exams and now I'm here kind of thing yeah I, don't, I yeah. don't really see it as something to be proud of it's like I went through something and then I got over it <laughs> mm. yeah I can resonate with that yeah, yeah I can resonate with that I'm always getting told to celebrate things and I'm just like yeah. oh it's done I've done yeah, it yeah exactly <laughs> I've done it I'm just gonna go to sleep now I don't exactly. really need to celebrate this fine it's the next thing what's the next thing next, <laughs> next please <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's a weird one I hear you on that yeah mm. it is a weird one um so yeah I mean is there anything else that you'd like to share with us as as part of your journey to now you know as someone who's 20 years old Mm. what's your what's your self-care like you know uh, do you do much journaling or anything that helps you with your day-to-day um so (laughs) um, my kind of self-care and coping mechanisms etc um have stayed the same really Mm. when I was a little kid um Mm. and have probably a kind of weird definitely not what the average person would consider self-care probably but since I was a kid um like I mentioned I've I I always have my nose in a book Mm. Um, and I always like to learn a lot so Mm. actually during the period so between um when my friend's suicide happened and the second death happened so when I was 14 to 16 um I became almost completely fluent in German because I was learning it I was learning it like so much um, wow and I, I have an obsessive personality when it comes to learning things so myself my version of self-care was just be learn a new language or just mm. learn something new mm. um, and so, that kind of that is what motivates you and gets you going and makes you happy yeah yeah definitely yeah. and yeah. also traveling I travel a lot and I think mm. that goes back to how I grew up and the fact that I just I feel more comfortable when I'm on the move if I stay in one place for too long I feel trapped and yeah Mm. I can't deal with that so I like to travel Mm. quite a lot there's something very special about traveling I definitely hear you on that is it solo or do you do you travel with friends and stuff um usually solo sometimes I travel with my family um but yeah usually solo Mm. And like currently, what's your kind of um, friendship circles like? Is it easier now, would you say, to kind of connect with people as you've gotten older? Um, to talk about your grief in particular, do you are you able to be open about your grief with your friends? It was definitely yeah. something that I struggled with a lot, and I think I do still struggle with it. Um, in the past, maybe I'd, I'd say the past year, um, I have, I feel like I've gotten a lot more open about my past and what I've been through. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and I do definitely understand the importance of friendship and having people around you that you trust Mm. and I definitely do have that um and it's helped a lot um I don't think my current friends will ever know how much I appreciate them and the fact that they're just always there and willing to talk Mm. about things and I know that they're always kind of there for me and I think Mm. that was yeah that was definitely something that 
I lacked but again not in a self-pitying way I just didn't I didn't know that it was something that I needed Mm. but I am definitely getting through things a lot better now it's kind of like I I guess it's baby steps yeah Um, I am doing a lot better yeah that sounds wonderful and it's a it's a big step and it's a process Mm. and yeah that sounds wonderful Amira thank Thank you for thank you for sharing that with me because I am a stranger (laughs) all of our other guests that have appeared on it will really appreciate your story um and the experiences that you've gone through um and I I know that thank you for listening yeah no you're very welcome and they will support you the all of the guests that have appeared so far in the podcast they will support you I'm sure they'll be in touch Um, so before we go on to the gratefulness challenge and we kind of close with a message, uh, would you like to share some memories of, of Lee, you know, your memories and what, you know, in your own words? Um, <laughs> it sounds a bit teasy, but um, yeah, it, be nice. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, our relationship was just basically him insulting me and then me insulting him. Um, he he was terrible at French, really, really, really bad. And I grew up speaking French, so I'm fluent. Um, and I tried to teach him for the longest time, and it just it really just didn't work. Um, so we always <laughs> we always had this thing where um, if I was sad or angry or frustrated. Um, which was usually where my emotions went. Like if I wasn't just neutral, I was frustrated. Um, and he'd always just try to calm me down in really terrible broken French. <laughs> and it just oh, wow. to make me laugh. And <laughs> I don't know, it's quite hard to make me laugh when I'm angry, but he always managed it somehow. That's really nice. That's really nice that you remember that. <laughs> You're just yeah. teasing each other. Yeah, really nice. Thank you for sharing it. I know it can be, it's a difficult one. It can be a bit cheesy. But I think it's its nice to kind of remember. It's nice to just have a moment and reflect because we get busy with our days and yeah, our, our, our schedules. But it's really nice mm-hmm. that you sh- shared that with us. Thank you. <laughs> so we're, we're going to get a bit more cheesier now because I like to do the gratefulness challenge, which I know you've probably already heard about in the podcast. Um, I did a gratefulness challenge about a year ago because my friends are very pedantic about being positive all the time, which yeah. I don't think is realistic, quite frankly. I like there to have a, a moment. <laughs> yeah, I don't find that realistic at all. But, you know, I did the challenge because they kept moaning at me. I did the challenge and I found it yeah. very difficult. So in, in the here and now, um, what I like to do is share something we're grateful for in this moment. It can be anything, big or small. It could be anything you like so uh would you like to go first or shall I even though I haven't um, thought about yeah <laughs> I'll go first if you okay time to think about yours. yeah thanks for taking that for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah cheers um, right now I think I'm really grateful for my friends and the people around me definitely lovely <laughs> really nice thank you uh my turn I am grateful for I guess I don't I would I don't like to see myself as a negative person but I I like to see myself as someone that's realistic yeah, and really. what's logical and mm. you, you know what's gonna kind of work and that is yeah, tangible I get that yeah. yeah and I do get told off for it often um <laughs> So for me, I think I am hopeful. I have a lot of hope and I'm just grateful for having that glimmer of hope, even when things are really shit. Yeah. Because it keeps me going. It keeps me Mm. going. And I don't know where I find it from, even at the most worst point. Mm. When I'm feeling really down, I I seem to hold on to that motivation, that glimmer of of hope. So I I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it comes from my dad, but uh, (laughs) um, uh, it's probably something I've gotten from him. But I just kind of hold on to that glimmer of hope. So I'm grateful for that in this moment. And... Now hearing your story, I realise how incredibly hard it is um, 
to kind of share and open up like that mm. so yeah thank you I'm really grateful that you stayed with us today to, to share your experiences thank you thank you for having me yeah you're welcome I hope it helped and to, to kind of share your truth and reality of what it's like for you and your experiences yeah, yeah it definitely did yeah, yeah. so Amira you're in the bereavement room thanks to everyone that's tuned in that was Amira Kazi. She was talking to me about her best friend, Lee, who died by suicide. If you are concerned about anyone that is struggling, you can call Papyrus Hopelink on 0800-068-4141. Thank you for staying with today's story. Let's wish Amira continued success at the University of Oxford. She's been for an incredible journey. Let's wish her well. And as ever, if you need to get in touch with us at The Bereavement Room, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Bereavement Room. We're also on Instagram. If you want to DM us over there, again, the handle is at Bereavement Room. We also have a Deaf Cafe BAME page. It's over on Facebook and it's at Deaf Cafe B-A-M-E. I'm your host, Colsima Ali.